0: From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com.
1: Well, we've been sitting here talking about all kinds of communication and asking the question, what is effective communication?
2: Well, and you know what? I'm excited because we actually are going to talk about that a little bit more because we both know the devastating effects of ineffective communication. <laughs> and what happens, because, and you know what, this, the whole thing of communication and listening, it is really key to just relationships and just navigating through leadership you know, issues and just through life. And mm-hmm. this topic truly is, is critical. And in fact, we're going to be talking in just a few moments with um, Tom Gilson, who authored the book, Critical Conversations, A Christian Parent's Guide to Discussing Homosexuality with Teens. And if that doesn't grab you um, on many levels there. But I have to, okay, so I just have to give a side note here. Um, Whatever, I already know know. where this is You probably know where I'm going to go. But (laughs) I I just want to say and go on record that I am so glad my kids are past Uh the teen years as you know, it is such a different time in life and such a different game now than it was just 10 years ago when I was, when my kids were in those teen years and I'm raising them because that really was before all the social media. I mean, I think Facebook was just starting or something, but you know, it was before all of that really emerged and really has hit strongly and Instagram and everything else. But, um, all those temptations. And I, I will make a promise to you, Patty on the show today, as we go through that, um, I promise, and I am going to have to keep this and this pains me to promise, but I promise not to keep mentioning that I am an empty nester and that you are still in the teen times and in that season. And I Your do
1: promise just for an hour, huh? But it's Just for an hour. hour.
2: After the hour, it's off. Then I, <laughs> then I'm back to, you know, Back to reminding you because it is such you know Thanks for the thing. Okay, so I digress. Before we get too far into our show, we just wanna remind you that you are listening to Girlfriend It Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, where we rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. And we're gonna have more information about today's show and other tips and tricks on our website at girlfriendit.com.
1: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Well, we've been having a blast this morning talking about just as much as we possibly can, talking about all things in communication. And uh, with that, we started exchanging all of our funny, funny stories about um, our miscommunication. Um, but started out this morning being asked by my nephew, her, his girlfriend has a, a college class, and, um, if you could, you know, do anything differently, what, what would you do? And I was just saying, I would try to work on how to effectively communicate. And we've been discussing how communication is more than just exchanging information.
2: It's truly understanding the emotion.
1: I like how you intention. said that
2: word emotion. I just have to interject. You, you have kind of an accent there and you emotion, emotion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's when you think I'm from South Dakota
1: and I'm really yes. from Arizona. So, yeah. <laughs> but even that it's, it's just how we are nonverbals, the way our tone, our voice, we get caught up in that communication and our brain will go in, in different, a sidetrack. And it, it, that communication, it's a two way street. And, uh, I. I Speaking of a two-way street, I remember at one point you and I were driving down the street, and we had just left a venue where we were trying to do an event there. And the gal that was showing us this particular venue had made a comment about something in the parking lot that they had to be careful about the, the size of the parking lot. And at one point, there was um, someone out there with an affair And by the time we got in the car, my mind had traveled off into who's having an affair and why are they having an affair in the parking lot and what does this have to do with the venue?
2: I just remember asking you. The stories you tell yourself in your little head. (laughs) It was so discombobulated and I was like, okay, wait,
1: what, what? Cause we were in separate cars and I immediately call you on the cell phone. And I, I'm, <laughs> I said, I have no idea what was going on there, but why did she like go off on an affair? Well,
2: and you know it, what's, well I got to interrupt you because you know, what's so funny about that. Here we have this significant meeting. We're trying to propel and create this event and do all these things. And so we leave this meeting and you, I get this call from you going, okay, we need to talk about that affair. I mean, it was like, all of that was lost on this one thing. You thought you heard this one word, and like you said, you created this story, and I'm like, What affair? I mean, then you had me intrigued. I'm like, what did I miss? And you're you're totally going, Well, that affair that was happening in the parking lot. And I'm like,
1: I was like, why is she telling us about an affair in the parking
2: lot? <laughs> and and my brain is going, Okay, I so was not listening well at all to what she was saying. I so missed that. And so I'm like, Well, what what, what did she say? And so you repeated it back and about the affair. And I go, the affair, not like the affair, the affair, like a gala. They were having an affair, a gala in the parking lot, meaning people, a party. And you're like, oh, and so it that was, I mean, maybe you had to be there, but that was just so funny because it was like literally passing two different directions over this word and how you heard it, how... Uh, it was delivered and in the context, and it goes to show, we take words out of context all the time and create a whole storyline around that that is, has nothing to do with the original communication that it was presented.
1: And that's why, you know, hopefully we can learn some tips and tricks today about effectively communicating, because it really is asking the right questions. And I, I can remember, I was 14 years old when my my boyfriend, Kevin, who I happened to marry, um, but this was way back, you know, when it was really cool to go steady. That was yeah. the thing. You would, they would say, hey, do you want to go out? You're and really dating meant- yourself right now. <laughs> That would, when someone asked you to go out it was to go study And at one point uh, Kevin, my boyfriend at the time, he had asked me to go to the state fair and that was a big thing you know here in Arizona and it was so cool to have it as you know a date to go to the state fair. So I was pretty all consumed with being asked to go to the state fair. Well later on in the evening he said, "Would you like to go with me?" And he meant, go steady with me. And I'm still focused on the fair. And I said, well, you know, I just don't think I'm going to be able to, because I'm going to have to ask my dad. And at that point, Kevin's like, well, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Why would you have to ask your dad if you can go steady with me? Like, I'm not asking you for your hand in marriage. And he said, wait, you have to ask your dad. And I said, yeah, you know, my dad, he's kind of strict or, you know, I, I I just really don't think he's going to let me. And so this carried on for like five to 10 minutes. And finally I said, if you want, I can go, I can just go ask my dad right now. And he was like, no, 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 no.
2: That's okay. We're good. We're good. We can, we can talk about this
1: a little, little bit later. And um so anyway, by the end of the night, we finally figured out that he was saying, Will you go study? And I was so into let me go ask my dad if I can go to the state fair. But by the way, I did go to the state fair and my mom and my dad went to the state fair as well. And they followed me. They followed me the entire time. And um it was it was quite the date. But you know, I was fourteen, I was not Kevin uh,
2: still married you,
1: right? Kevin still married me and I did go study with him um, and got a cute little teeny tiny ring that I have to, to show for it. So it is funny how the, the miscommunication, all because we're on two different tracks and we're not asking the right question. But I have I have to tell you just a quick story. This happened this week. I was training in a class that um, a, a, a guy that was in class, it's usually he and his wife, are, they both work together and they're usually in class together. So I went up to him and said, hey, Scott, uh, where's your wife? And he said, "Oh, she's at a, a conference in another, you know some other town," and then he said something about being a single parent. And I thought he said she's at a conference for single parenting. <laughs> and So I walked away, going, "Oh, that makes me sad. They're probably getting a divorce. She's going to a conference. How <laughs> to be a single parent?" And and many times we just kind of let that go. We yeah. We, file it in our head, kind of like the affair or being asked at the state fair, and we don't ask the right questions. But it really bothered me because I knew they'd been married for quite some time. And I went back and I said, okay, this is a really odd question, but are you, are you guys separated? Is, is there a reason why she's at a conference for single parenting? Oh. And he said, no, I'm doing a weekend of single parenting. <laughs> and so we both had a good laugh over that. but we do have to realize it's all in the right questions and yeah, how you file it in your brain.
2: Well, and that, and that is so funny because how many times do we do that? You know, we hear it a certain way and then we create this the whole story scenario. Like you're like, Oh, I feel so bad because they had such a great marriage. And you create this whole scenario that is so not true. But then do you also wonder sometimes, Patty, like, okay, what am I saying to people that they walk away from what I just said with a whole other story and they're thinking something completely different than what I intended? I and mean, that, that is really, it, it's really interesting and scary. It really makes you realize how careful you have to be um, with your words and communicating and, and also the listening part. Which is just as important as as the talking part, which a lot of times we just think when we hear the word communication, we think of the speaking, the person that's speaking. But it's really, you know, just even more so how you listen. And like you said, going back and asking those clarifying questions, you know, did I hear you say or, you know, or, you know, and I love that you went back and and it's good to have a good laugh. I mean, they create those laughable moments. Well, when, when they go back and, and uh... absolutely, well, like you said, and I think it's Stephen Covey's. It's like his habit number five, like
1: seek first to understand, then to be understood. And so many times we go into a conversation and we want everybody to understand what we're saying rather than going into an, a conversation saying, I'm going to understand what the the person speaking is saying.
2: Okay, well, we're going to have to take a commercial break and we're going to have to really be attentive to our listening skills as we do our interview coming up with author Tim Gilson talking about critical conversations and especially, especially as they relate with our teens. You're going to listen in. We'll be right back.
0: For more information, go to stadia.cc. Reaching out from the heartland of the United States with quality programming, this is
3: TokiNet Radio. It's
4: There are more cats in U.S. households than any other pet. Most allurophiles or cat owners know that unlike dogs, taking kitty for a ride in the car isn't any fun. I mean, you never see a cat hanging its head out the window, enjoying the breeze. Today's domestic cat is descended from a small, mid-eastern wildcat. A group of kittens is called a kindle, and a group of adult cats is a clowder. What's the word for those dust balls composed entirely of cat hair? Cluffernugans. Personally, I like pigs better than either cats or dogs. Dogs are subservient and look up to man. Cats are aloof and look down on man. A pig, however, will look you in the eye and see as equal. It's words you never I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app Too Funny for Words.
1: Us now is our special guest, Tom Gilson. Tom is the senior editor and ministry coordinator for the top conservative daily online news and insight website, The Stream. And for years, he's interacted with those of differing viewpoints on his blog, Thinking Christian. He's a 36 year veteran of ministry leadership with Crew, Breakpoint, and Rachel Christie. Tom also holds a master's degree in organizational psychology. He's the author of Critical Conversations, A Christian Parent's Guide to Discussing Homosexuality Teens, as well as more than 150 articles found in publications such as Discipleship Journal, *Touchstone Magazine, and Savo. He has also served as the lead editor for True Reason, Confronting the Irrationality of the New Atheism, when not studying or writing, he enjoys canoeing, sailing, and long walks in the woods. He lives with wife Sarah in Ohio, and they have two college-age children. Welcome, Tom. How are you today?
3: I'm fine, thank you. How are you?
1: We are doing great. We've been talking about all kinds of effective communication. And, and ineffective. Um, what? <laughs> what was that, least? I said, and ineffective ones. Yes, and ineffective communication. Well, you are obviously an awesome communicator with all the ways that you are communicating with speaking um, and writing, and I I tell my kids all the time, if you can um, learn how to communicate through writing, you basically can take on the world. I just think that is such a fascinating gift, and when did you realize that you can communicate through writing?
3: Well, I started blogging uh probably 11 years ago now, and that's a learning process because you get into these discussions and I call it whitewater writing because um there's immediate response and you can have a great ride down the river or you can run into rocks when someone comments and tells you what you've done wrong. But I developed uh the the, the conversational ability in writing that way and uh started doing Columns are on that same time too.
1: And I also is crew um, campus crusade for Christ.
3: It is yes, that's the name that Campus Crusade changed to about four years ago.
1: Yeah, we were we were talking about that. It seems like that's the wave, of progressively, you know, from Kentucky Fried Chicken to all kinds of organizations. <laughs> we've we've taken the. The big name, and we've made it into an acronym. So, yeah.
3: Um,
1: and, and were you involved at, at Crew in college?
3: Yeah, I was. That's where I came to faith in Jesus Christ, and um, went immediately into ministry with Crew straight out of college, and um, continued until three years ago, twenty thirteen. Wow. Yeah.
1: So, are, you have two college. Um, kids, do, are they both involved in crew now? Or they just- well,
3: actually, that's old information. My son's a bit older; he's twenty-four. My daughter is in a regional campus of Miami University, that actually has her running back and forth between three regional locations, and she hasn't been. They don't have crew on the campuses she's mostly been at, so she's involved in a church but not in crew. Right.
2: Okay, Tom. Well, we're gonna we're gonna dive in here and you you yeah. talking about your book we 've been talking about critical conversations, effective communication, all that but You describe the content of your new book, Critical Conversations, as kind of like the perfect storm um, for awkward parent-child topics. And we know whenever you enter that zone of, I just remember, you know, when my kids went to school and they came home, they had the talk and, you know, how do you navigate through that? And I just remember, you know, my husband and I had been in youth ministry and so nothing was, you know, we just said, okay, this is, there's nothing that will shock us or surprise us. And you just have this conversation to put your child at ease too, so they don't see that you're awkward with it and then they won't feel awkward and just navigating through that you know so you kind of set the tone with you know your body language and just your response but you know it's it's different now because um the stakes are a little higher um it's a little more messy and complicated so what elements combine for making discussions on this topic of homosexuality so difficult and what are you finding like in and leading through those conversations we're just going to go right in
3: yeah, what makes it tough is is the things you mentioned plus the fact that it's a hugely <clears throat> pardon me it's an incredibly um contentious social issue now where the Christian view in particular has become unpopular even in the in the eyes of uh a lot of our culture it's become Wrong, thoroughly wrong, and and disgusting that we, that we won't accept things like gay marriage and the equality, the equal um, moral value of homosexual relationships. So young people in particular are are in just imbibing that view. They're they're barraged with it, and so not only do we have the the, uh, the topic of sex in there, but we've also got the possibility of conflict when we come up with this topic. So that makes it hard.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we've just, the enemy has done a really good job in painting, um, you know, this evangelical Christian to be so anti gay and, you know, we're the haters, we're the bigots. Uh, to where the pendulum has swung to the point where the youth, when it's so in their face, like you said, and they're, be, they're being bombarded, that they have a tendency to go, I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity because I don't want to be seen as the hater. I don't want to be seen as the bigot. I want to be able to, to love everyone. And it, it's, it's really hard then to walk that fine line. So we... We avoid addressing it sometimes at all, and in the meantime, then they're kind of going through life and school and dealing with these conversations, not really knowing how how to answer these tough questions. So, mm-hmm. what suggestions would you give to us on uh, really attacking these critical conversations?
3: Yeah, that's you've, you've put the issue in a in, in a really. Art- in a really great way. This is a spiritually crucial issue because it's driving people away from Christ and the church because they don't like it there. And so we need to have, first of all, as parents, we need to recognize that if we don't have these conversations with the kids, it doesn't mean they're not having them somewhere else. They're still learning things about it, they're just not learning our values. Uh, and so the first thing I think parents need to do going into these conversations is to have a very, firm grip on our own values and our own beliefs why do we think what we think why do we believe what we believe where do we find the passages in the bible that we rely on to understand what marriage really is what what are the good reasons to think the bible is true about this because a lot of times what kids are thinking okay well the bible says that therefore i don't like the bible so we need to have the answers to those questions in mind. They're kind of tough. That's why I wrote the book, Critical Conversations, is to help parents get a, a start on their own grip on on what these things uh, what these things are and the reasons.
2: You know what? That is such a great point because I don't think even as adults we. Take the time to really invest. We just kind of have inherited um, some beliefs and value system, um, whether from our culture, from our family um, heritage, or what well, you know, and we've kind of adopted that. And then we haven't really challenged ourselves or allowed ourselves to be challenged. But like you said, our, our kids are having these conversations, and they're being bombarded with it, and they have to make decisions, and we're just kind of sitting back a lot of times going, I don't know, this is uncomfortable, I don't even know what I, what I believe, and so we avoid the conversation. So I think what you're saying is so spot on is we as parents need to get a firm grip on our own values to know where we stand, and in a loving way, on a preface it, and, you know, an understanding way, and, and then we enter into those conversations with our kids.
3: Right. And 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 you know that does imply some homework. Right. I I tried to help with that with this book, but we we can't avoid it because if we do, we're abandoning our kids. We really are. It's it's uncomfortable. It's necessary anyway. We've got to do at least some of the work to get to the point where we can have these conversations.
2: Mhm. Mm-hmm. So what are you seeing uh, what kind of response are you getting from um, kind of the church at large as you're tackling this and as you're trying to um, lead parents in these kind of conversations?
3: The main thing I'm hearing is that this is really desperately needed that this is a hot topic and that parents need this equipping um, and And it needs to be done in a wise and and in a compassionate manner. And and I'm getting good feedback that, that that's the kind of thing that I'm addressing and the kind of the way I'm addressing it in the book. But I'm also hearing from parents things like, oh, for example, one mom who said her daughter came home from Bible study where the teacher said that the Bible doesn't say anything negative about gay marriage. And the daughter was really happy because that resolved the tension in her own life. But the mom wasn't happy. She didn't agree. And she said, I freaked out. I didn't know what to say. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 there's, there is a sense that we don't know what to do and we need help. Mm-hmm. All these things. So these are different uh, responses I've heard.
2: Well, you know, and, and I think, um, it is, we don't know how to respond and we're kind of caught off guard because like you said earlier, we haven't done our own homework and research to know really what we believe about it. We're just kind of like stunned. And it's like, okay, now, now what do I say? You know, it's like, they said this, now what do I say to that? You know? And it's like, okay, they just gave an answer I wasn't prepared for. I don't know what to do. So in your book, you, you walk, you walk parents and people through this, correct?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I do. And once a parent gets some equipping, they're, what they're going to want to do is bring up the topic, and and then yeah, and it could be just in a casual conversation. You, you're on the way to some uh, rehearsal or some uh, some sporting uh, team practice or something like that, and you just say, "Hey, you know, what do your friends think about this whole gay marriage issue?" That's the safe kind of a question. Child can probably answer that. And but but then when when you as the mom or dad ask that question, you're going to have to be prepared for anything.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Especially when you follow it up with questions like, "Well, what do you think about this? What do you think about what the church teaches?" There's a really good chance your child is going to say something you don't like. And and that's okay. Because Tom, we're then you got the conversation started.
2: Okay, Tom, we're going to take a break right here. We're going to come back with more questions and more conversation. Okay. We'll be right back.
0: This is Girlfriend on Nap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these.
2: We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California.
4: mckay author of the best-selling book use your head to get your foot in the door includes job search secrets no one else will tell you harvey is a true ideal praxist that's a person who puts ideas into practice harvey admits landing the right job can be more difficult than the job itself and successful people can't have pornophobia that's the fear of work But in these economic times, it can be a necessity to make money any way you can. What's a word for using any means to make money? Cuomo de cuun So what's the best job to have? Will Rogers once said, the best job in the country is the vice president. All he has to do is get up every day and ask, how is the president? It's March. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words.
0: Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on TogiNet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa
1: been communicating with Tom Gilson. Tom is the senior editor and ministry coordinator for the top conservative daily online news and insight website, The Stream. And for years, he's interacted with those of differing viewpoints on his blog, Thinking Christian. He's also the author of Critical Conversations, a Christian parent's guide to discussing homosexuality with teens. And we just left and went on commercial break as we were discussing how do you walk parents through these critical conversations in a safe, non-threatening fashion? Um, and, and I love it, Tommy. You said be ready to answer the same questions that you're asking your your children. Um, you know, what do you think about it? And when they turn it around on you, I um, I'm just going to share in, in some of my conversations with. I had uh, my my daughter. One of her close friends in our neighborhood um, had come out that he was gay, and uh, also really struggled with how in the world could Jesus love him. And he was just continuously torn up with um, this question to the point that he he quit going to church. Um, he started going down a you know a pretty crazy path, and. My my answer is to her. This is what the Bible has to say, but we're just going to continue to love, 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 love him and let him know we we are here with with open arms. And um, I loved uh, Lisa and I were just talking about it. Good thing we're not God that we don't have to be put in that situation. You know, let let God judge and figure all that out. We're here to love because Jesus told us. To to love him and to love others, um, in what way? Uh, with with answering that question, how would you expand on that?
3: Well, is the question if a person? Can you restate the question? Let me just ask you to do that.
1: Well, probably because the question never really came out. I just like insinuated that you should know everything. That that goes back to the effective communication here. <laughs> <laughs> there there was quite a quite a bit in that in that whole question of just how do you deal with this person that you love that you've grown up with when they say hey you know i'm gay
3: well the first part of dealing with them is exactly what you said which is to love accept continue to to regard them as the same friend that they've always been and that doesn't change, and Jesus' love for them doesn't change, and and all those things are still the same. Now, if they're asking questions about their relationship with God... Um, God can still love them just as he can still love the rest of us. That's no different either. And the the way they walk with God is by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same as the rest of us. And yeah, there is a different level of challenge. There is a different level of questioning and wondering about future, wondering about relationships and stuff like that. But I, I, I wouldn't – there's a sense in which the gay activist crowd has has made themselves into a separate category, a separate identity, a separate type of person. This is, the, this is my part of my identity. When really what I think is a lot more healthy is for people who have got um, different kinds of issues, different kinds of questions in life, to each deal with them individually in their own relationship with God.
2: Mm. Well, yeah and i think what you you just um you know kind of landed on a little bit it was the identity you know it's like some people like that is my identity and there, as we know there's so much more to our identity it's not our our you know our sexual preference doesn't give us our identity but if there's a bigger picture there and it's like they want to focus on so many times just that one area but there's so much more and so being able to see beyond you know, and see the whole person and, and, and and just in context. And so, um, you know, it is a hard, it's a hard topic to navigate that we are being, especially in the church forced to deal with. And in some, in some ways it's a no win. but how do we just, you know, really enter it like Jesus would. And, and, you know, like you said, to love, to accept, and to continue to love. And that's what Jesus would do. But uh, let's go back a little bit. Um, if you, um, uh, you have you have so many great questions it's um how you know just how do you start like navigating through these and how do you prepare yourself to be able like you said be able to answer the questions that you're you're asking your kids so where would you ta- to, to to prepare yourself as parents on how
3: well, I really believe yeah, this part of it is you've got to prepare yourself for the for the barrage there are certain types of um Challenges that come our way as Christians, that I think are probably either intentionally or or unintentionally, they function to to make us hide and cower and feel even ashamed of who we are. Like you're a hater, you're a bigot, you're a homophobic, Mm -hmm. you're uh, you're misusing the Bible, you're on the wrong side of history, you're. you, why? Why are you so against this? When, and why are you anti this, anti that? All these things that are intended, or at least function to make us hide and cower, they're really. And, and I covered them individually in the book. All 27 of these kinds of things that um, we need to be prepared to look people in the eye and say, you know, when you call me a hater, you don't even know me. You're stereotyping me. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in stereotyping? Or when they call us a bigot and say, well, okay, let's talk about what bigot means. It's not actually true. We have to be able to handle the barrage, and we have to be able to help our kids do that. So that's part of the homework that needs to happen. We go into these conversations ready to face the barrage because we've we've had a chance to think through these things. Hmm.
1: Well, what do you think about when you just look at our culture and um, – it it sounds like all of us somewhat have kids right around the the same age. Although Lisa has promised not to mock me that she's an empty nester and I'm not, Uh,
2: (laughs) but I'm uh, staying true
1: to my promise. Yes, you are. It just, in in parenting teens today, I I just go back to my, my closest friend growing up. Um, We, we did sports together and she lived around the corner and she ended up you know, when in her twenties saying that she was gay and I was oblivious growing up, like that wasn't even in our vocabulary. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I had her spend the night and even in college, she would come, you know, stay in my dorm. It was just, I was oblivious to, um, what, you know, she was making her choices to do. And until we were in our thirties, did I finally come out and have this conversation with her. So I, it's actually interesting to see that now our kids in junior high, they're walking down the hallway and they're, you know, people are just making out being heterosexual, homosexual, whatever. It's just so in their face. And it just seems like it's, uh, it's happened so quickly in our culture do you have an answer for that like how did this happen so fast that we went from not talking about it to in your face
3: it happened because it was the natural result of the of the mistakes that were happening in heterosexual culture we can't pin this all on the gays and lesbians we have our own responsibility to claim for it and it started i think you can trace it back to the sexual revolution and to the idea that relationships were for the mutual um, mutual satisfaction of the couple it used to be that if couples got together and had physical intimacy they had to think about kids and you couldn't you, you couldn't have one without the other at least not in the long run. So you had to have that in the back of your mind always. Well, it turned into the kind of a situation, um, 50 or so years ago where you could get together and it was just for your own fun. Well, a few years of that. And why can't a guy and a guy get together and have fun? It's the same thing, just different people. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what led to it. I think it was the, the the skids were greased for it by the sexual revolution, and then the rest followed naturally.
2: Hmm. That's an interesting. You know, it generally is progression. Things don't happen out of a vacuum. And when you mm-hmm. you know, when we ask ourselves, how did we get to this place? No matter what it is, you generally have to you go back and you see there is a progression that we were oblivious yep. to. Well, do feel
1: it, like Hollywood too has just you know when you think about it it's you know four or five percent that are saying you know homosexuality is is within less than you know five percent but when you watch shows it would be as if 90 percent of the people in our culture because it's just every time you have a show on it almost seems like there's this agenda that we're going to push this
3: forward. there is and um, in addition to what i described before there was a there was a definite strategy, and there are t- strategy documents from 1987 and 1990 written by gay strategists about how they were going to do things like use media to portray gays in a sympathetic light and to portray, well, in one of them, an article called The Overhauling of Straight America, they said, we're going to portray the Southern preacher as beady-eyed and unctuous, it's a great word, and... Um, in rage against those sick um, people and Mm. and compare that and contrast that with um, gays and lesbians just living normal, happy lives. Well, they did that, and it worked. They Mm. did a lot of that kind of thing. There's a lot in these strategy documents. So part of what happened to us in the last 20 or more years is that we have been subject to an intentional strategy, and it worked.
2: Mm. That's very interesting. And and you know what, you can see that. I said, I think of Footloose,
1: that movie, <laughs> so, exactly what you said. Let's portray the pastor here to be, you know, just this guy that's just going to be the Bible thumper and nobody can have fun. And, you know, it just it started in a subtle from 1980s to just progressively went worse from there.
3: Right.
2: Well, Tom, we have got to 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 uh, leave this conversation, and we have so enjoyed and appreciated you and just your insights and information. And we want to just encourage our listeners to find you know find you, Tom Gilson, and your book, Critical Conversations: A Christian Parent's Guide. To discussing homosexuality with teens. We're gonna have this information on our website, and also you can, I'm sure, Amazon and different places um, they can get this book. But thank you just for challenging us. And I love, you know, how you said, you know, love, accept, and continue to love. And if we all did that, it would be an amazing place to really be able to have conversations and you know, just do life together. So thank you just for reminding us of that, and and um, we're excited that you had that you you know had the that you were brave enough to put this book out there and to really help parents navigate through tough waters. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back.
3: Thank you.
0: Finally, a show that supports women who are in the midst of a transition in midlife. The show is Second Wind. Here's what certified coach, author, and host of Second Wind, Joyce Buford, wants you to know.
4: It's so empowering for women to hear about other women and their accomplishments. We all need
0: cheerleaders, someone who's on our side.
4: Second Wind is that program to help women connect with other women, hear other women's stories. In
0: a stressful world. Find
4: power. In those stories,
0: learn to discover your passions and joys again, create the life you want to live to the fullest. Join us for Second Wind with Joyce Buford, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Central, right here on the TogiNet Radio Network.
1: Welcome back. We have been talking about how do you have these effective um, conversations, critical conversations, and truly be able to communicate in such a way that when both parties walk away, uh, we know exactly how the other one, not only what the words that they're saying, but the emotions that they're feeling. And we're really hearing and, and seeking to, to understand. And I, I love that what Tom had to say just in writing the book, of having to have those conversations with our kids, because so often uh, we think, oh, if we're not having these conversations, then um, they're not hearing about it, rather than they are hearing everything, but they're learning um, what the world has to say, rather than being guided in what God has to say. in in so many areas, not just uh, what God has to say about homosexuality, but what God has to say about gossip, what God has to say about how we communicate to others. And um, I I know, Lisa, we started out the show just laughing of of how we've done, um, not necessarily effectively communicated, but all the wrong things of what has happened in... (laughs) Communicating, yeah. and I, I think that so often that is what the enemy loves is to paint this picture of what Christianity looks like and um, all all of the the horrible things like being a hater, you know being a bigot, and we we can all make a difference and have an impact so that we represent Jesus well and we don 't represent Jesus in that fashion. And, um, I, I think you need to just give us all the tips on, on how to change
2: that. (laughs) Oh, do I now? Sure. Yes, you do. Well, you know, it's interesting. You're talking about, you know, we shared, we shared our stories that didn't make us look really great and not on our best light about some of the times when we have experienced ineffective communication. And I think hopefully we all have that and hopefully that, that teaches us, And we learn from that to go, okay, I need to be better at this. You know, we learn from our mistakes and, and we can laugh at them. And hopefully they're, they're not too damaging in the process. But, (laughs) um, you know, that's always the challenge. But, you know, like you said, there's, um, there's always barriers and obstacles that take place when we're trying to communicate and that stop us from being effective in our communication. And then even with this topic, I I appreciated what Tom had to say on just our role as parents, you Mm. know, because we need to um, be challenged to step into our role as parents and not negate that role, not go, well, this is uncomfortable for me. I don't really know what I feel or where I stand on this. So I'm going to choose to do nothing. And hopefully it'll work itself out Mm -hmm. and that can be a dangerous uh, position to take because like you said, and like Tom said, um, our kids are still hearing and learning and I would rather them learn from us and, and get a, you know, a healthy perspective, but we have to take responsibility for, for knowing and understanding ourselves to be able to communicate effectively to them and to ask them, you know, certain questions, you know, what, what do you think? And how do you feel? And, um, not be shocked by answers that they may give us, but to really go, huh, let's, let's talk about that. And so just create that space that's open, that's safe for that communication to happen and not um, abandon that role that we have as parents in that. And, you know, the reality is it's tough. It's mm-hmm. just tough. And we're in, we're in tough times, but um, it doesn't mean we, we um, step back and do nothing. Well, I love when
1: you say, don't be shocked by their answers. I, you and I have both talked about this and you've really helped me in just raising my kids because you've gone through it, uh, to, to be an engaged listener. I know for me, I have a tendency and I, and I think with you and I, um, speaking and presenting, we have content that we want our listeners to get. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Uh, it's easy to take, be in that world. And then all of a sudden, when you, you know, when your own child is asking you questions, it's like, no, you have to get this. You have to listen to everything I'm going to pour into you right now. And so sometimes everything becomes a teachable moment rather than a listening moment. And so becoming an engaged listener, if, if I could do anything different, you know, that that question of what would you tell your 20-year-old self or your 30-year-old parent or whatever, you know, of going back, it would be to take the time to be engaged in the listening, not just simply hearing. And really, really listen to what they're saying and ask better questions and ask more open-ended questions. And I, I feel that now with my youngest child, I'm I'm better. You know, my mom used to always say, um, you know, your firstborn, You just need to throw away. Cause that's the one you made all the mistakes <laughs> on being that you're first born and I'm last born. I
2: think that's really, so. God advice. really explains why you really do think you're golden. You were the last one. The first one got thrown away. And then by the time they, you know, parents got to you, you really were the golden one. So that really, you have just created clarity for me. So,
1: <laughs> but it, it definitely, I I've seen that with, In in my last born, you know, we go on walks and sometimes I don't even say anything. Literally, we'll go on this 45 minute walk and I just am listening and really trying to understand what she's saying. And then when we get back, I'll get this hug and it's like, I just love walking with you. And you're like, oh, glad I could be there for you. But you're holding your tongue the whole time. I just right. am dying because I want to you know speak into everything that
2: she's saying. So well, your last your your last one is very verbal, so that probably is a gift you give her that you listen because she is very verbal. <laughs> um, but you know, I, and, and the thing you're saying is like um, you know listen better and and like you said, um, l- take time to listen and don't interrupt. But there's also this is what I am so guilty of, and I have to really work on myself and my effective communication is I, I am listening and I think I'm, you know, doing a really good job, but I'm also in my mind rehearsing what I'm going to say next. So am I really listening? I may be on the outside. It seems like I'm listening, Mm -hmm. but inside I'm, I'm, I'm having a conversation with myself about what I want to say next. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that's really, I have to work at that to go, no, don't have a story in your head going on at the same time. They're telling you a story. Really listen to what they're saying.
1: I think what helps with that, and you and I, you know, we both know it, but like you said, knowing it and practicing it and applying it are two different things. But to, and and I really do feel, feel like doing radio has helped us both with this, is making sure that you're listening and kind of paraphrasing to ask a question back. So even though you're you're thinking in your mind how you're going to paraphrase it but it also helps you really be in the moment to say what, what did you mean by that? Or is this what you mean? Or, you know, you're, you're literally the, the nonverbal communication that you're leaning in. And, and I always, I, I make fun of you because when I'm talking to you, you lean in to the point that you will mimic my facial expressions <laughs> and you'll start mouthing my, like your lips will start moving. And so I'm like really impressed with that because you you're you're so in the moment that you're you're
2: repeating it kind of, you know, whatever I'm saying. Or I might just have a stigma or something. I don't know, you know, I don't or whatever. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But when you can, like, avoid interrupting and really, like, either redirect the conversation to kind of respond by saying, you know, paraphrasing what they've said, if you think that's bad, how did you feel about this? Or, you know, to to really think of them versus, like you said, we're always thinking of, oh, wait, I have a story that can top that. And it's easy to, especially at our age. There's always a story we have that can
4: top whatever they're saying.
2: If we can <laughs> remember it. <laughs> it's like you can't. And we're not that like, old. Let's clarify. If the people don't know who we are. We are not that old. But it is funny because you go, you, you do accumulate stories and you accumulate you know, experiences. You're like, I want to remember that. I want to remember. I will never forget that. And then you're like, what was that? <laughs> I, I remember. I'm supposed to remember something. And I don't remember. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And it, yes. And so, yeah, you're really good at remembering the stories. And, you know, and then there's certain people that are great at remembering details and those that remember, like, kind of the concept of the story, you know? But it it, it is listening as we interrupt each other right now, talking over (laughs) each other. (laughs) I can top your story. (laughs) That's fine. You know what? You now have the mic, top it. I'm just saying when you
1: were when you're talking about truly listening, um, just the nonverbal communication, uh, to be able to especially with your kids, you know, I know for me I have a tendency to they're talking to me why I'm on the computer and um you know, nonverbally, what is that communicating? So Uh, to just be aware I know you and I we were just talking about in in even when you're presenting that it seems really funny but they've done research and studies on the body language before you go in to present something and maybe you're having uh, you know a, a critical conversation with your child that has learned how to bully you as a parent to actually take the superwoman pose and even that has this chemical drip in your brain that prepares you to be able to go in and own it, own the conversation. So there's so many things that you can do with your nonverbal communication and how you're signaling others. I I was sharing with you that uh, it's funny because I have a tendency to, to lean over a table and put my chin on my hand and kind of like actually droop my shoulders forward and i think a lot of it's just cuz I, I can't hear like when i'm at starbucks and there's all this outside noise that i have you know you're you're almost in a in a fetal position without even realizing but nonverbally you're communicating a very insecure position and um, i just think that the nonverbal is is so important in how you're communicating effectively
2: well, you know, but I look at that too, and it's like I I so hear that body posture. But at the same time, when somebody's leaning in and they have their hands on their thing, I go, they're really engaged with me. <laughs> they are giving me eye contact, and they're really, really listening. So, yes. you know, in some ways, I think there's, you know, there's you can argue that a little bit, but I get the point. It's like our we need to be aware of what our bodies are communicating our nonverbal language. And, you know, as I'm thinking here, there's a lot to remember on this effective communication, you know?
1: and <laughs> well, we have to do a whole, a whole program on just effective communication because I love to be reminded. And I, I love it when you say let's argue that point because I'm all ready to argue it with you.
2: Exactly. Well, you know what, we're going to have to take, put an end to our conversation because it's time to go. And we just want to thank you know, our listeners for, for joining our show, for leaning in, however you do that, non-verbally, to this conversation and the crucial conversations that we need to have. And actually, they can lead us to healthier relationships if we navigate them in the right way and really listen longer than is comfortable and really, you know, um, give, like you said, that eye contact. Listen, we'll... Till next time, have a great day.
0: Thank you for being a part of this special program. Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know. Yourself. It's the show dedicated.